Welcome to the Laurie Lawrence podcast, Stuff the Silver, We're Going for Gold. This podcast came about by me wanting to value add to my online swim teacher and coaching platform, WorldwideSwimSchool.com. It was simply an idea that I'd read and share chapters of the two books that I'd written about my eight Olympic Games adventures. And when I run out of chapters, I'd interview some of the great sportsmen and sportswomen that I'd encountered over the 50 years of my international coaching career. Tell your friends, if it helps one person expand their lives a little or achieve their dreams, it will have served the purpose. If it doesn't do this, try at least to remember, the harder you work, the harder it is to surrender. This one is called Doing What the Opposition Won't, and it's about a young kid, Duncan Armstrong. As a gangling 15-year-old, Duncan Armstrong was a member of the ACI Lawrence Swimming Club when John Seaborn won the Olympic 200 metres gold medal in Los Angeles at the 1984 Olympic Games. Duncan had witnessed firsthand the dedication displayed by the 17-year-old Seaborn in his ruthless, disciplined, relentless quest for gold. Duncan had been impressed by the consistency shown by Jono and his bronze medal mate, Justin Lemberg. In the 12 months lead-up in preparation for the Los Angeles Olympics, neither boy missed a single training session. Duncan also marvelled at the intensity of effort in their training and stored it all in his memory bank. He noticed Jono doing the little extra things that separate the good from the great. He knew from first-hand experience that Jono Seban had paid the price for his Olympic gold. When I returned from Los Angeles, I called a special team meeting to hand out some souvenirs and to relate stories of many of the great experiences that you have as a member of the Australian Olympic team. At the meeting, I told the squad that anyone wanting to go to the next Olympics should start right now, today. I encouraged them to set high goals and told them if they wanted to be successful in Seoul, they would need to duplicate Jono's feet at training. Plus, they would need to add a few little extras of their own. I saw this as a positive motivational move to keep our gold medal factory working. And this team did not disappoint me. The first indication that Duncan Armstrong had the potential to be competitive internationally came at the 1986 Commonwealth Games in Edinburgh. Here, Duncan won a gold medal in the 400 metres freestyle after a magnificent race in which the tearaway Englishman, Kevin Boyd, was almost 25 metres in front of Duncan at the halfway mark. At this stage, the Aussie team members had lost all hope of Duncan winning. Many were sitting in the stand only half interested. But spectators could not believe their eyes and neither could I when Duncan made his move. He made this move with a wonderful surge. He caught and passed Boyd in the finish that had Norman May in raptures. This is how the veteran broadcaster captured the moment. 
Now, how is it possible to catch a swimmer of this nature with so little of this course left? 125 metres to go. The margin is probably 6 or 7 metres now. If Armstrong can close that gap, he's a phenomenon. But Armstrong is a man who is pulling right away from the field now. Coming up to this turn with 300 metre mark and looking at that, 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 53, it's very, very fast. So around into the final 100 metres, the crowd is getting very, very excited. The English team over there on the far side, look at them, cheer him on. Now he's Duncan Armstrong coming after him. Just watch this, if Armstrong comes up now, oh, yeah, oh. Has he gone out too fast? This will tell on him in the last 50 metres. He's really flying, but Armstrong's coming at him. There's not much time left. Look at the margin now. This is sensational. Oh, I, I think Armstrong will win. You won't believe it. Look at the Englishman. He's dead tired. Armstrong goes round into the final turn. Oh, it's a beautiful turn. Let's watch this down the last lap. Duncan Armstrong has got him. He's, he's, he's absolutely sensational. He was 12 metres behind at one stage and the Australian... Duncan Armstrong has gone right past him. What a magnificent Duncan Armstrong. A perfect performance. The Australians were going crazy over on the far side. Have you ever seen a swim like that? He's beaten him. He's given him 25 metres start and chased him down. Look at this time. Three minutes 52.25 for Duncan Armstrong. Well, it's easily his best. It's very close to a Commonwealth record, only in a second and a half outside. And what a bold performance to let someone get that far in front. May described Duncan's surge that day as the fastest finish I've ever seen in the history of swimming. Well, it was from that gold medal swim in Edinburgh that Duncan not only realised, but more importantly, believed he had what it would take to go on and win Olympic gold in Seoul. All you young men and women out there, belief is important because without belief, you will never win. The night of the race, Duncan and I made a pact. I was standing on the pool deck underneath the diving tower wearing my Scottish kilt and my tartan hat when Duncan walked up after the presentation ceremony. Show us your medal, I ordered, thrusting out my hand. Congratulations, I beamed. Tarmate, we did it, he said modestly and shook my hand firmly. Dad will love this. He helped me to do my wheels every night. He'll be wrapped. Trust Duncan to think of his family at such a time. Families are so important in an athlete's success. We stood side by side under the tower soaking up the atmosphere, overcome by the enormity of the occasion. Duncan was first to break the silence. He turned to me and said simply, I want to win in Seoul. You'll have to do a Jono, I replied. I'll do better, mate, he answered. You give me any training you like, I mightn't like it, but I'll do it. Anything. 
I'll do whatever you think it takes, because we're a team. Congratulations, Dunk, yelled Susie Bomer, planting a kiss on his cheek as she headed for the warm-up pool. Then she was gone. I looked at him and said simply, Miss no training for two years. Miss no training until you stand on the pool deck in Seoul. Do everything right to prepare yourself for gold. No excuses. He gripped my hand firmly and the pact was made. Together we now had a specific, clearly defined objective. It was a tremendously tough assignment when you consider that swimmers train 11 sessions a week in the pool six mornings a week from 5am to 7.30, back to the pool again at 3.30, often during the very little time available in the middle of the day, the dedicated few who want to be Olympic champions, who want to stand up on the winner's dais, do the things that no other swimmers are prepared to do. These people, with their clearly definable objectives, work out further, doing cross-training. They ride, they run, or they spend extra time in the gym, or they perform any of the 101 little extras which give total confidence. When champions stand on the block before the starter's gun, they always have the competitive edge. They have the confidence to look across the pool at their opponents and say, I'm ready, are you? When that time comes, the real winner is able to say, I could not have done one more thing to prepare better. The real winner can look at his opponents without fear and say, I'm ready to race. He or she can do this because the will to win is the will to prepare to win. Preparation Solid preparation is the real key to victory. The first 12 months passed uneventfully. Duncan never once missed a training session. I was sick on a number of occasions and he suffered some injuries along the way. But neither of us missed a single training session. A shoulder injury was a problem for a time and a leg injury necessitated his withdrawal from an Australian team to tour Europe. At the time when he was battling the shoulder injury, he would roll up a chandler with his kickboard and spend hours conditioning his legs and disciplining his mind. When he had the shoulder injury, he would tie his legs, float them up with a floating pull-boy device and exercise his arms. Sometimes he would come in early and use the isokinetic swimming bench. This was a machine designed for strengthening swimmers' shoulders. For Duncan, a temporary disability became an opportunity to improve and to condition another part of his body. He would thrash that isokinetic machine for hours. I bought two large flags. One a German flag representing the German champion, Michael Gross. The other an American flag. This one we called Biondi. Biondi was the US ace swimmer, Matt Biondi. I placed both flags on the floor underneath the isokinetic swim bench. The sweat would drip and soak onto the flags. I used to tell him, Duncan, perspiration is the lather of success. The harder you work, the harder it is to surrender. And Duncan worked tirelessly. 
on this bench. Duncan was determined to do things that would give him the best chance to win a gold medal. John Sieben's 1984 commitment was foremost in his mind. He was not only determined to match that effort, but he wanted to better it. His goal was clearly defined and, because of it, he was able to overcome temporary obstacles and turn negatives into positives. However, the best laid plans of all of us go astray sometimes and a 21st birthday party gave us a little hiccup. Parents, grandparents and young people all love 21st birthday parties. A night of balloon popping, people drinking, eating, singing, celebrating, beautiful young women dancing till all hours of the morning. It's always a celebration of adulthood. One night, in the second year of our plan, Duncan had been to such a party. And, of course, he arrived home late. His alarm rang at the usual 4.30am. It was not welcome. And for just this once, the dedicated young man turned off his alarm. He rolled over and stayed in bed. By 5.30, I'd been at the pool for half an hour and I had all his teammates working in full swing. They were churning up and down the pool, executing tumble turns, medleys, butterfly, doing perfectly all the little things that would be advantageous to them when they came to race at the Olympic trials in Sydney. Where's Duncan? I asked. He wasn't at the pool, and he should have been. I paced the deck like a caged lion, my anger and frustration bottled up inside. Finally, I could stand it no longer. I turned to my assistant coach, Ian Finlay, who was my watchdog at such times. Go ring him, boy. Find out the problem, I said. Ian responded like a bull terrier. He loved jobs like this. He was back in five minutes. Armstrong has a sore shoulder, he reported. No excuse, I spat. He said, if you can just give him this morning off, he'll train twice as hard this afternoon. He thinks his shoulder will be right to cope with anything you give him this afternoon, but he really needs to sleep in this morning just to give it a little rest. Bullshit, I swore. Inwardly, I seethed. I wasn't buying any of that. Over the years, I've coached a lot of swimmers, good and not so good, and I can't recall ever coming across one who didn't at some stage need a gentle nudge to get them mobile. A foot in the rear, so to speak. Duncan was no exception. I knew he was tired, but I knew he had to prepare today if he wanted his chance tomorrow. All of us... At some stage, when we feel a little down and a little lazy, look for shortcuts. Fact is, there is no shortcut. At times like these, when we all need a little nudge, I spun around to Ian. Watch these swimmers. Keep them working hard. I won't be a minute. I turned on my heel and walked briskly out of the pool and bounded up the Chandler stairs two at a time to the phone booth. Hello, Duncan, I bubbled. Yes, Laurie, came the weary reply at the other end. How are you, mate? I'm good. But my shoulder, it's just a little bit sore. It's got a slight twinge. 
I should be right this afternoon. Mate, how are your legs? Oh, no problem, they're fine. Why? he inquired. Well, I've got a little surprise for you here at the pool. I thought that seeing your shoulder is sore and we don't want you to miss any training, you might just run to the pool and I'll give you this surprise. Oh, he said, that would be nice. Good, mate. Put on your Reeboks and I'll see you in an hour. But, but... I listened no more and hung the phone up in his ear. I felt better. The 16-kilometre jog to the pool would be a nice little wake-up for him. I went back to the pool deck to coach. I felt cleansed. Sixteen kilometres and about an hour later, a young man drenched in sweat burst into the foyer at Chandler Pool. Where's Laurie? Where? Where's Laurie? he asked an attendant. Can I see him? I'm not training this morning. It had been a hard run. It was exactly what I was looking for. I believe that there is always something you can do in life to benefit your cause. There's always something positive that can be done to keep moving up that mountain. I figured that if he couldn't swim, then he could run. And if he could run, then his cardiovascular system would be kept in pretty good shape. Now, here he was, a lather of perspiration. He had run hard and was proud of himself. But he was like most young blokes when you give them a tough job. They like to make out that it doesn't hurt. It becomes a matter of, give me any training you like, but you won't crack or hurt me. Young bulls out in the paddock, butting heads, locking horns, carrying on the same way. In Duncan swaggered, red-faced and dripping in sweat. Well, how are you, mate? I asked. I feel great, he replied, thrusting out his chest and swaggering even more. How are your legs? I asked. My legs are fantastic, Laurie, he said. It was just such an easy run. I can't believe how easily I did it. What about the long hill on Pine Mountain Road? That's not a hill, Laurie. That's just a little hump in the road. He plonked himself down on a red plastic chair awaiting a lift home. Are they nearly finished, he asked. Yes, I replied. Good, I'll get a lift home with Jono. It's at times like this that I honestly feel I have a slightly nasty streak in my personality. I slipped over and whispered to Jono Seaven. Jono, you are not allowed to drive this bloke home. Great, good idea, Laurie. Make him run home. The mongrel, he should have been here for training. Oh, Laurie, you're a genius. Thanks, mate. Tell all the others, I replied. The joke was on. All the kids were advised that they were not under any circumstances to give Duncan a lift home, nor were they to lend him money for the bus fare. So there was Duncan, relaxing in the red plastic chair, just waiting, reflecting that his shoulder would be right tonight. Meanwhile... He was happy to have a dig at all the other kids in the pool for having to train. You know, swimmers are a funny breed. When they're in the pool, they work their guts out. But if they get the sniff of an opportunity not to train, then they don't. And, what's more, they take great delight in poking fun at those poor unfortunate mates 
who have been churning up the pool lap after lap for two or three hours. Armstrong was no exception. He was delighted to have the chance of a quiet dig at Jono, Jody Clatworthy, Susie Bomer, Julie MacDonald and Lara Huivild, all soulmates, who also were chasing their own personal goals, that is, to be part of the Australian Olympic team to Seoul, Korea. All of a sudden, Duncan remembered the surprise I'd mentioned to him. It's human nature that everyone loves a surprise. He jumped up and ran over to me. What's my surprise? he asked. Uh, not now, Dunk, I said. I'm busy. If you can just wait for ten minutes or a quarter of an hour, then I'll sort it out for you. I want my surprise now, he pressed. I can't give it to you now, I said. Just sit down and be patient. Wait till the kids are finished and then you'll get your surprise. He was like a kid waiting to visit Santa and he badgered me for the next ten minutes. He wandered outside, had a cold drink to cool down and soon he was back. He was back asking again and again, another drink, another ask. He kept up a constant barrage of annoyance. Where's my surprise? Come on, where's my surprise? Finally, when all the kids had finished, we sat down in a little circle as we often used to do. At these times, I gave out the accolades for training or pointed out mistakes people had made in training. I handed out positive reinforcements that would make the next training session more productive. It's a system that I still use. By ironing out little mistakes and encouraging good work, we create that positive environment where all the team search for perfection. You can't hope to be competitive in the international sporting arena if you are not working for perfection on a daily basis. As soon as we sat down, Duncan wandered over, anxious for his surprise and interrupting the team meeting. Where's my surprise? Where's my surprise? I looked at him. I looked at the kids. I raised my eyebrow and said very deliberately and slowly, Your surprise, mate? No one here is going to give you a lift home. Furthermore, I can guarantee that the 16-kilometre run home is going to be a lot harder than the 16-kilometre run to the pool. Duncan looked stunned. What? What? He said in disbelief. Mate, you've come here fresh as a daisy. You scoff at my big hill, saying it's a little hump in the road. You tell me you're not tired when you arrive. Surely a little 16-kilometre run home isn't going to hurt you. No, he's too weak. No, he's too weak, taunted Jono. No, he's not, protected Lara. Get a cab, you weaky, interjected Susie. Got sore legs, mate, sympathised Jules. Do it, Dunk, yelled Jody. Just do it. Run. I'm not going to give you a lift home, said Jono. Sorry, I'm not going past your place today, chipped in Susie. See you at 3.30. I ended the conversation abruptly. Duncan jumped up and, as he stormed out, looked back over his shoulder and yelled, I'll see you guys tonight. Now I know who my friends are. Then he pointed his finger at Jono. Don't ever ask me for a lift home, Jono, when you're stuck. Winch, why don't you? We've been here since five o'clock training, retorted Jono. 
Oh, shut up, Duncan replied, and off he took at an incredible pace. The 16k run home? I was right. It wasn't as easy as the 16k run to the pool, but it was faster. People laugh. The swimmers in the squad did too. He had just run 16 kilometres to the pool and then 16 kilometres home even faster. Wow. He negative split 32k. Silly, wasn't he? So silly that he became Olympic champion. Do you know, it's my firm belief that if you want to be successful in life, You've got to do things that other people are not prepared to do. The difference between good and great is a little extra effort. It's a slogan that helps explain why Duncan Armstrong is an Olympic champion, with a gold medal to prove it. A lot of other people, more talented but less dedicated, didn't want to pay the price for the Olympics of 1988. All they took home from Seoul were the memories of kimchi and rice. Duncan Armstrong paid the price. Duncan Armstrong was the best prepared swimmer in the 200 metres freestyle final. Duncan Armstrong's name is etched in Australian sporting history books. Duncan Armstrong won Australia's 100th Olympic swimming medal. Surprise, surprise. I wonder why. I explain it this way. The difference between good and great is a little extra effort. Duncan explains it this way. The difference between good and great is having a coach who is a bastard. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of Stuff the Silver. We're going for gold. To stay up to date with all episodes, please subscribe to this podcast. For more information, visit laurielawrence.com.au. It's alive to the fire!